This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links. And to our patrons over at patreon.com slash Show. Hi, this is Chris Sims. I used to work for Wizards of the Coast, but I've been reskinned as a freelancer. And you're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner, and in this episode, number 268, we're seeking international help to do away with the sacks of hit points with a damage output and turn them into monsters that sizzle. You may notice that Tracy is not with me today because of the international nature of this episode. It had to be recorded at a time that she wasn't available. And while we can never make up for the lack of Tracy on the episode, we will struggle forward with an all-star panel of guests. First up is the artist and author of articles for Wizards of the Coast, such as Stupid Monsters of D&D. Coming to us from Arboreal, Germany, I welcome back Jared von Hindemann. Hi, I'm back and welcomed. Thank you. Yeah, I say back, you've been on one or two episodes. I know you were on the, a recent book club. Uh, yes, and uh, I was on one years ago. Well, I, yeah, I think Tracy actually came out to visit you in Germany, and you guys recorded Yes, I, I don't remember it. It was during cancer recovery time. Yes, so, no, that sounds right. <laughs> so I, I'm told I was on the show. Okay. I don't yes. recall it. <laughs> I hope it was terrible. Perfect, yes. <laughs> uh, our second guest from the homeland, one of the designers who's working on Kobold Press's Tome of Beasts, that's giving us hundreds of unique monsters. The man who was most requested when I asked who I should have on an episode to talk about spicing up monsters on the Tome Show's Facebook page, Dan Dillon. Wow, that's, uh, that's very gratifying. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. And third on our list from his throne in Austria, ready to stir up international trouble, as Austrians are famous for doing, formerly of Wizards of the Coast. You may know his name if you ever looked at the credits inside your books. In fact, his name appears in the Monster Manual, the one and only Chris Sims. Hello. Wow, what an, what an intro. I try to make everybody feel at home. You did a great job. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss for words. There That's, you go. Uh... Well, <laughs> <laughs> so Jared's been on before. Dan, I feel like you've been on before, even though you haven't, because you've been on on the roundtable with James a lot. Yeah, I've popped into the roundtable from time to time. So I'm a big fan of the Tome Show and all of its affiliates. <laughs> awesome. And Chris, I believe you were last on somewhere in like 2010, if my Skype archive data is correct. That's probably true. So it's been a long time, and I'm glad to have you back. I tell you what, now yeah, it was before my daughter was born. So oh, wow. and she's she'll be five in like three weeks. So I think it was also during the window, the brief window when you weren't at Wizards. Like there was a yes. time that you were, and then you weren't, and then you went back to Wizards, and now you're now you're not again. That's right. Okay, just want to make sure I get my timeline right. <clears throat> so. That may that may have something to, to do with things. I, I only get so much contact with folks at Wizards in a given time period, um, and I tend to go for the bigger names when I do instead of lowly Chris Sims, who is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. See, I'm trying to be uh, complimentary at the same time here. Chris, Chris, are you hiring, and does Jeff need work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we are going to talk today about monsters. It was mentioned on a, in a recent conversation um, I had on another episode. I believe it was with James from the Roundtable. 
that some people are discussing how monsters in 5th edition D&D occasionally feel like sacks of hit points with damage output, and they're not always very interesting. Uh, so we want to sort of talk about why that is and what, what can be done about it and give some advice to people. So I want to start off by, by just simply asking, why are monsters sometimes seen as a little bit lackluster? What do you think is going on there? Uh, I have a theory, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it's the, uh, if, if, may, if I may, mm-hmm. oh, please. Right, as the least qualified of the triad, um, uh, I think it's a puzzle piece thing. I, I think, um, and, you know, and again, just, just brainstorming here. Um, a lot of monsters are like, okay, this is the big thing that does the damage, and it's always the last thing on the map that takes the most time. But a lot of people, I think, design things as it would be more interesting because this thing has friends. Okay. Does that make sense? So you're saying some of it comes down to to proper encounter design? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it... Tactically, no one kills the big uh, uh, meat shield first. Mm. You know the 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 goal of an encounter where you know there is something like that. Then, you know, anything interesting is going to be squishier, and they're going to go after that first. And you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm uh, explaining myself well. Yeah, and, then, and then the rest, and then the majority <laughs> of the combat ends up being against the big uninteresting block of hit points. It was definitely a problem in fourth edition. Okay. Mm. I think uh, a couple of things are at play. Um, a little bit of what Jared was talking about, definitely. Uh, but n- also, not everything can have a giant golf bag full of crazy tricks to pull out all the time. Um, that would be a different kind of boring, if that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, if everything was just some crazy, wacky thing, then all of it, then none of it feels special. Uh, so occasionally, you need something that is just a little bit more simple. And simplicity, I think, is another thing that we're seeing a lot in 5th edition. In uh, the 3rd edition era, you'd get a monster with a giant list of spell-like abilities and then some unique things that they can do as actions or that ride on their attacks. And, and like you know, kind of like a Pit Fiend or a Balor, there are a lot of combats where you just wouldn't even touch half of what a monster was capable of doing. So how important is it for it to really be able to do all of that? I think that people are missing um, some of the aspects of 4th edition, too, because there were monsters in 4th edition that could do very interesting things, and it was the one, or, one of the one or two things that it could do. Um, like, the bugbear in 5th edition is uh, pretty simple and not very, one could say not very interesting, but you take, like, from... Fourth edition, the bugbear strangler or the bugbear headhunter. <laughs> I mean, those monsters—they did what they said they did, right? So um, that could be an element of it too. Like uh, monsters in fourth edition did tend to have that one flavorful, flavorful player-facing thing, mm-hmm. or maybe more than one. But uh, and that's that's actually missing in all other editions of D and D. So um, at least in things like the bugbear or the goblin or, you know, things like that. Well, and there's a trade-off there, right? I, I, I mean, you, you would know better than, than I think any of the rest of us would, Chris, but it seems like the design of 5th edition um, took some of that out intentionally in order to, to reduce complexity, right? So, so that you don't have to spend 
several minutes each round searching through the the stat block of the monster and figuring out what's what what's the interesting and, and thing to do this round and and going through all those different abilities and powers and what have you was that part of the design i imagine uh maybe but i think more of the design was um paying attention to the other three editions of D&D more attention to that than uh fourth edition okay right and and so uh, i mean but whether it was intentional design or not, I think there's a trade-off there, right? If every monster has four or five uh, really interesting abilities or powers to pull off uh, in any given round of any given encounter, then that is going to slow down the pace of combat, I imagine. So, sure, but, but yeah. the ideal design would be that it has one cool thing that it does, and it does that maybe mm-hmm. every, other, every other round. Yeah. You know? Or it does that at the to enter. Hello, I'm the bugbear strangler, and you're being strangled. You know, <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, my takeaway from that is maybe so, so. The design there was instead of having one monster that could do a bunch of different things, you had different versions of the same monster that you could use interchangeably depending on what you wanted an encounter to do or how you wanted to spice it up. So you didn't have to fight a bugbear strangler every time, but you could throw one in when it would be you know uh, just a fun surprise or a, add a tense moment to an encounter. And, and yeah, that was right. an option. So, like, in, in the 5th edition, you only have the regular bugbear, and then you have the chieftain. And, and, and I will say one thing about giant bricks of hit points and damage in, in, uh, in 5e. Some of those low CR ones end up being some of the most interesting encounters, because if you just stand next to them, you're going to get pulped really fast. Looking at you, Ogre. <laughs> well, and the bugbear will kill, will knock uh, every first level character unconscious besides maybe a fighter and a uh, barbarian. Oh, yeah. first with, the, with the surprise attack and the brute. And if they crit you, I mean, we're looking at it's the death. <laughs> well, I'm talking about a bugbear doing average damage. Uh, yeah. You're out of the fight if you're not a, a fighter or... Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and, and then you're in instant death range if they actually land a critical hit on you. Uh, yeah, or that surprise attack, right? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> so, so uh, no, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. So there's so there's all kinds of sort of explanation as to why um, maybe fifth edition um, has some design areas where it could be tweaked in order to make some some of the the less um, interesting monsters more interesting. Um, and I think there's other ways of talking about monsters being more interesting as well. Uh, and I think some of that can be can be discussed in terms of running monsters. I don't have a ton of advice to add into this conversation, which is why I went for the all-star panel here. Um, but this is one of the areas where I was specifically thinking, like, even if the stats of a monster aren't necessarily the most interesting, that doesn't mean you can't run them in interesting ways, right? It's really easy as a DM to look at the, the field and say, I've got a ton of monsters on the field and I have to run them all. And to just think of them as big blocks of, of stats, right? Um, but it's important to occasionally remember, okay, but these are NPCs. These are characters in the world, and they have things going on as well. And so I try, uh, and I'm not always the best at it, but I try at least several times throughout an encounter to have the NPC monsters say something or do something that you know oh, totally. furthers the story or makes them more interesting or makes them more more real, you know? Yeah, so this is this is a a role playing game, um, and uh, DMs have to role play. 
So one of the things that makes monsters more than just a sack of hit points and damage output is that role playing. You know, a bugbear can be pretty interesting if you role play the bugbear, or mm-hmm. you know, um, or the situation that the bugbear finds itself in. Whatever. I mean, um, you don't if he have has to. A name, at the very least, if he has a name that's not "Hello, I'm Bugbear Strangler," you know. <laughs> bugbear Strangler. I mean, his just name ha- is, I'm Bad Richard, the Bugbear Strangler. <laughs> Suddenly, that there's there's something like uh, evoked there. Would you like to see I mean, pictures of my litter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, or he takes out the cleric with one hit and goes blood for Rugak. You yeah, know, yeah. anything Char- like characterization goes a long, long way to spicing up anything you're doing. Yeah, and I find that that's one of the the tips that that while really evocative and important, I think it's not always going to help the DM very much because to me as a DM, it's still just a, a bunch of stats out on the field, right? And I'm throwing some some lines in there that I think can make a big difference with the players. Okay, well, wait, and wait, increase wait. their fun. Yeah, go ahead. Well, hold on a second. Though, when you say like, okay, I have all these monsters out on the field, what what is the purpose of having those monsters out on on, on that field? Like, like, like the context. I mean, um, mm-hmm. like, what what is the field? What is you know? Like, honestly, um, I'm guilty of uh, maybe being too soft on my players. You know, because I want the story to continue and it's interesting, and I think sometimes monsters are stupid and won't do the tactically optimal thing. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm just wondering, like, when, when you, if you're looking at it with, I have these, uh, this squad of hit points that can do damage, um, what's the purpose of the encounter? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, if, it, if it's as simple as, okay, they need to kill these things, then they are boring stacks of hit points, if, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, encounter design starts with the narrative reason for its existence. Um, and, and that's exactly what you were saying there, Jared. Um, if you have a story built around why this encounter is happening, it's much more compelling than just, and you kick in the door of the dungeon and there are three bugbears there who pick up their maces, right? If you have, you know, a tribe of bugbears and you have, you know, backstory of the adventure, they know what what they're facing and why, and maybe what, what motivates these things and what they've been doing, uh, that, that just adds layers of context. And, and so when they fight them, it can be more of a highlight of what has already happened and, and what the party is trying to prevent from happening again. Any number of things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just, let's make sure that they do less damage to us than we do to them. Yeah. Um, at, at the same time, one of the... I mean, we, we keep kind of going back to forth, but um, one of the uh, criticisms I've heard, I mean, I, I enjoy this aspect of it, but it's something I, I, I know is not classically D&D, and I, I'm not a veteran, you know? Um, I, I, I started playing with 4th edition. and um, But apparently, you know, you can talk to the monsters. You can do intimidation. You can make them surrender. Suddenly, D&D parties can take prisoners. You can talk to monsters. I mean, the first... Um, um, playable race in Dragon Magazine for 4th edition were gnolls. And no adventure accounted for that. You know, like, there was no reason. It's like, well, our party has a gnoll in it, so of course we're going to try to talk to the gnolls. 
And then, you know, as more books came out, they started kind of pandering to that, you know, like giving that option. I mean, even, I mean, not to go into the Salvatore thing, but basically, you know, suddenly there's a happy place of orcs. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and like everything's a bit more PC. I, I think that's, that's kind of what uh, the big criticism of it was. You know, everyone was kind of touchy-feely. We understand the other viewpoint because... That's kind of the the world we live in, where you know you can't just have justifiable genocide because they're born evil. You know that kind of got outdated and left a bad taste for some people. Mm-hmm. Well, one of Chris's points was that it, this is a role playing game first and foremost, and one of my favorite parts of the fifth edition monster manual are the the lore and description headings on the monsters with those God, yes. with those bolded uh, sections. You can, I mean, you can just take the titles of these sections, and you've got an outline for how to role play whatever creature you're talking about. I love it. I cannot sing its praises enough. Well, and that's why you know I I don't necessarily disagree with you, Dan, about the the context of, or making an encounter mean something. But uh, you can also just play D and D like Descent, the oh sure the board game, and it can still be fun, and the monsters can seem more more like more than uh, sacks of hit points. Absolutely. Yeah, no, mine wasn't meant to be any sort of counterpoint. It was supposed to be just another layer you can add. But no, you're yeah, absolutely sure. right. Just characterization in the midst of description and, you know, the ogre crits you for 30 damage, you know, throw in, <laughs> throw in an ogre laugh and talk about how it loves the, the red spray or something, you know, it just it'd do a little something to add to the atmosphere as you're going. And that you're, you're exactly right. That I mean, that that yeah, ratchets that, that, it up the, a couple notches right there. The lore inclusion in 5th edition was my favorite thing that they pulled from 2nd. Because uh, you, you remember those old monsters compendiums where they'd mm-hmm. just be like, here's the ecology and mating habits and, you know, like mm-hmm. a little bit of combat, but here's their religion. And, and because the format was standardized, no matter what the monster was, they had to fill that space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, so you, you ended up getting a lot of really weird stuff that was fun to play with if you just, you know, because they hid the special attacks and spells, like the, the combat, you know, the crunch, in that fluff. And I, I, I think that's kind of interesting because in 5th edition, the Monster Manual, the, there's little things hidden in between that there's not mechanics for, but it's like, this monster has more powers than you know about. Mm-hmm. And I, I dig that. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, the, all, all of what I'm hearing, I'm hearing things like, like more evocative descriptions and role-playing the, the monsters as NBCs and all of that, which, which depending on what the monster is, works better, right? It's hard to have a conversation with, like, a hydra, right, than it is sure. a, a bugbear <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, but you, there's still ways that you can evoke that. And I think the context is a big deal, and it opens up options for the players, Right, and and you kind of touched on that a little bit when you when you mentioned the idea of talking to the monsters and what have you. Um, I was playing uh, part of Princes of the Apocalypse uh, recently, and there's there's you know the the party is going through this monastery and they're they're killing all the bad guys and chasing them off and whatever, and they run into a whole group of I think it's Duriger at one point inside the monastery and and luckily the adventure gives some context why are these random Duriger here in this monastery what's going on oh they're mercenaries and here's why they're there and here's what they're working for but knowing that they're mercenaries and having that come out in the first round or two of the fight meant that the party's like oh wait you're here to get paid well your boss is dead you're not going to get paid and here's 20 gold if you just leave 
and you know, and that opens up all kinds of options because of the context, because there's a story around it. Um, so I think even in like random encounters, if you can come up with a little bit of an explanation as to what's going on and why they're there, um, then you can think about role playing the monsters instead of just um, you know rolling for the monsters. Yeah, even back in the Caves of Chaos days, like in in uh, Keep on the Borderlands, there were a few just contextual hints that made some of those encounters magic. Like, you know, three goblins are sitting in a room and they're playing dice. Okay, you know, if you sneak up on those guys, then they're sitting there playing dice, and they have a bag of copper coins that they've painted that they'll open a secret door and throw to the ogre that's in the next cave if they have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even you know, and because the ogre's stupid, he believes that he's been paid, and he'll come in and crush you. But you know, and I think that just a little bit of context is can can be magical, and also for the monsters to act like they actually want to live, like they oh god yes, <laughs> like they're organisms that that they'll move, they'll use their terrain to the, their terrain to their advantage. They'll use, uh, since, since obviously in most cases, uh, the adventurers are invading their turf. So the monsters know where to go to get away from or to ambush or to whatever. I mean, all those things can add to monsters. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if I ever need just, you know, a good 10 or 15 minutes to, to think or to, to prepare or something, um, I can have a random monster in a dungeon surrender. And then watches the party discusses and debates. What do we do with this guy? Can we, can we take him prisoner? Well, we can't just kill him. He surrendered. You know, what? You know, can we just tie him up and come back for him later? Well, then what happens if he goes and gets his friends? You know, and then they'll go on and on for like 10, 10 to 15 minutes about that, and I can just sit back and watch him go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's what's the uh, the poor man's solution here? Because we we're talking about you know doing extra work, and you know I know, you know it. The complaint, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know this complaint because, uh, you know, it's not something that, that happens in my own game because I'm bragging now. Um, but, um, but, but basically, like, it's, it's the players, right? So the solution would be the DM does more work, think about the setting, think about the context. What's the poor man's solution here? Just do funny voices? Or, you know, like, do you give it a name? Like, what's... I don't know. I don't know if uh, we say, okay, build a better story. Do build a better encounter. Well, I don't. Well, and I don't. I don't know that what we're talking about necessarily takes more work. It just takes practicing different skills. Yeah. You know, coming up with a quick story, even if even if you're using random encounter tables, coming up with a quick story of why that random encounter happened. You know, oh, the the dire wolves are starving because there's a drought and they're out. You know, they're out for blood. You know. It's just a little something to to on, on the fly to give yourself a little bit of context to understand how to role play them. I don't think necessarily takes more work. It just is a different way of thinking about it for some people. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, totally. It's just being willing to say something from the monster's point of view, or to do something from the monster's point of view that adds a little color. I mean, it's not necessarily doing any work ahead of time, or I mean, I guess it is work at the table, but. That well, is something that, that, that DMing requires, I guess. I, but but yeah, I mean, no, particular I, work is sort of it. what we're there to do, right? It, like yeah, you said, it's, no, a, it's a role-playing game first and foremost. So we've, we've talked a lot at this point about 
ways to run monsters to make them more interesting. But I think there's other areas that, that can be discussed as well. And one of the things that 4th edition, since we mentioned it before, um, did really emphasize, I guess, in, in a, amongst the idea of having monsters that all had one or two little things that they could do that sort of helped identify how they're unique and, and different, um, is... I thought 4th edition really focused on encounter design in interesting ways. Mixing and matching different kinds of monsters to, to greater effect, environmental effects. Um, let's talk a little bit about how to design encounters in order to make the monsters more interesting. Well, that's certainly not the, uh, not the less work approach. But, uh, no, no, it's but, not. <laughs> but it's very much an important approach uh, because you can take a monster that doesn't have any flashy special abilities or innate spellcasting or anything like that and, and present them in a challenging way that is something other than we're going to roll dice until everything falls down. And, and that's exactly what you're saying. You know, utilizing things like traps and tactics on the monster's part. Um, using Giving the bugbear a chance to hide. Give the if the bugbears leverage in that stealth, man. Yep. I mean, have uh, a room with one light source. Yeah, yeah. Have a light source that the bugbears can can yeah. drop, and then they use their dark vision or uh, or you know um, uh, terrain. So so something simple that's not like a super flashy special ability is a different movement mode. And if, uh, if a monster has a different movement mode, then just fight them in an area where they can leverage that. Where, say, if something has a burrow speed, then they can do all kinds of crazy stuff coming out of the walls and the floor and the ceiling. Or, you know, spiders with web walking or, or anything along those lines. And, yeah, so what I'm, I'm hearing a few things here. I'm, I'm hearing um, look at other parts of that stat block besides just their combat abilities, right? Look at their skills, look at their their movement, look at their vision, look at all these things that sometimes are not primarily thought of, and then give the monsters an opportunity to use those things. And in order to do that, I would say pick your monsters first, set your terrain second, so that you can tailor some of the terrain to the monsters. Well, yeah, like, so if you're fighting the Tarask, you have two goals. First goal is to actually survive fighting the Tarask. The second goal is to <laughs> mitigate the collateral damage that the Tarask is going to do. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. collateral damage should be so much a part of that encounter. Like, the Tarask should be rampaging through a city or something like that with mm-hmm. cultists crowding behind him. You know, it, it shouldn't just be you walk into a room and there's the Tarask or something like that. <laughs> oh, God, that's <laughs> a big room. Uh, that's a big room, and wow, that's going to be a uh, quick fight. Maybe not interesting. <laughs> the Tarask will win. But, yeah, even, but even on less uh, massive and epic monsters, I think you know, if if even if you look at that that stat block and say, hey, they've got they're trained in athletics. Like, there's an athletic stat here. Um, Given an opportunity to push something or climb something or whatever, like add some of that that those dimensions to the to the terrain and i think you can make them a little more interesting right yeah yeah and i and i've done that also just to show players what they could do you know okay mm-hmm. the hobgoblin climbs the statue and then jumps down behind your ranks yeah yeah you know it, it's uh and i you know when we were first playing fifth edition and playtesting it you know i had a hobgoblin do that and everybody was like wait can do that? Did it provoke an opportunity attack? What's going? On? Yeah, no. It's behind you now. What do you do? <laughs> Heads up, wizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think surprising is uh, the biggest thing. I mean, uh, my my problem is is I never understood because I'm 
I'm I'm I'm not old school, you know. That's uh, so. Uh, I mean, that was the whole gimmick, I think, with the D and D outsider, uh, you know, um, articles. And basically, like, I never understood why they sold the monster manual in a set with the player's handbook. Because mm-hmm. if you're because that's the problem. I I I've found that people know what monsters can and can't do. So sometimes you put things on on the board, and they already kind of can see how things are supposed to shape you know you know are going to shape out um, that way you'll have to buy more monster manuals to keep them on the, on their toes oh no 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 just do what i cheat make up uh, just cheat with lore and uh then they're always guessing you know mm-hmm. Even, i mean i still use the monster manuals but the thing is like in my setting like elves don't cast shadows because the shadows were animated and that's what drow are so drow are the shadows, like uh, the dark crystal style hmm. of of elves, and that gives you a lot more to play with. I mean, drow are, are a bad example because there's a lot of fun things you can do with drow. But I don't know if you cheat and make things your own, um, you can have. I I don't know. I I think what does the story need? Is this monster just here to be a monster, or where does it fit into the story? You know. And, yeah, I don't know. I think more people should um, do what they want with the monsters. I don't know if that's blasphemous or not, but no, not I, always look, I always look at the, the templates as, like, a starting point. And, like, what can you do with this and what makes it better for my game? Yeah, that's so, absolutely true. Does anybody ever, like, tweak the abilities of a monster and then have their players cry foul? God, yes. <laughs> uh, not not generally, no. Uh, but uh, so so at my table, my play group, we're we're all friends. We've played together for basically multiple years. Some of us going back to decades. So there's a lot of trust in whoever happens to be running the game at the time. And for those of us who DM regularly, um, I think we've we've pretty well established that we are not out just to screw the players. So we can kind of we can ratchet the difficulty up. We can play with assumptions. We can we can come in through the side door every now and then, and people just kind of roll with it. Um, I have had situations where you have someone who makes these adjustments on the fly, but it's a little clunky, a little ham-handed, and a little clear that they're just uh, trying to compensate for the PCs finger quotes winning too easily. Oh. Yeah, and that that that, that That's burns wrong. my biscuits real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try very hard not to do that. But at the same time, I'm I'm not here to coddle you. I am I am here to crush you, and your job is to stop me. <laughs> it's a little bit of a, an exaggeration, but I love challenging encounters. Um, and because I love playing in challenging encounters when I'm a player, I want to feel like you know I've accomplished something when I come out the other end of a fight. Well, sometimes you feel like you've accomplished something when you just squash your opposition, like uh, literally, yes. literally crush the opposition. Oh, I think that God. that, I think that that's one of the important aspects of adventure design and, and using monsters. To me, is pacing, and to me, there needs to be a lot more easy encounters hmm. in a lot of adventures. Um, first of all, it makes the adventuring day seem longer. Mm-hmm. If not every encounter is a, a, a huge challenge, and, oh, absolutely! Right, and uh, it also makes you feel like you're you've accomplished something. And the strangest thing was when we were doing fifth edition, and I was um, updating X one the um, Isle of Dread mm-hmm. for the playtest. I noticed that the end dungeon there is paced pretty 
incredibly well. Like, um, the first encounter is uh, an entire tribe of humans, and really you're better off if you try to sneak past them or, or deal with them in some non-confrontational way. But after that, you're going to encounter lots of monsters that you can defeat pretty handily in a, as a series of encounters. So that entire dungeon can probably be done in one day, one adventuring day, uh, by a careful group, by a group that uh, plays smart and analyzes their situation and moves carefully. Because um, most of the encounters are going to be fairly easy until you reach the few points where they're not. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that type of pacing is very interesting to me because... Uh, I find the the camp in the dungeon type of play to be uh, immersion spoiling. If you, it it if can you be. Me. Yeah, it, it totally can be. Yeah, um, Especially when you had the days of, well, <laughs> we, we experimented with this one time in a third edition campaign where we adventured in, you know, minute per level blocks with all of our buff spells cast and everything layered up. And then we just ran through as many encounters as we could. Then we retreated and rested. It was a fun experiment. I couldn't imagine just playing that way as, as a default uh, method, you know, Uh, it it just, it it felt, it felt like cheating. It felt wrong. Uh, I mean, you know, if that's, if that's how your group likes to do it, I'm certainly not casting any aspersions please play the way that you your table enjoys uh but it felt like uh, we, we could just see the edges of the game if you know what i mean mm-hmm. no, uh, no no i I'm, I'm, way. I'm playing a way of the wicked uh campaign with a uh, a group of i don't know r- uh newer players mm-hmm. and uh it's very much exactly that it's like how long does this buff last and then it's just ticking down and 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 to be honest they I can't really fault that from a tactical standpoint, right? It's really effective. Oh, totally. And it's fun to kill everything. Yeah, it is. And, and that, I think, goes to what, what Chris was saying, is that sometimes th- there is nothing wrong with being able to just frog stomp an encounter because it makes you feel cool, right? It makes you feel like Conan when you get to, to you know, just lay about yourself and cut through a squad of brigands that was uh, accosting you on the road or, or whatever, you know, just go into a hostile orc den and just lay waste, right? Though There's definitely a place for those encounters. And, and talking about the pacing of a dungeon, that's a, a really excellent point. Um, and then you can play with that in a lot of ways too, where maybe you can limit their ability to take long rests. So they have to play smart, conserve resources, utilize short rests when they can, and, and you know, do it in a way that uh, they kind of have to find a fortifiable place where they can't be counterattacked during their short rest. Something along those lines. So let's on that on that that note. Let's imagine that I'm a DM. And okay. and they've had my my party has had a series of relatively easy encounters. Then they get to what is supposed to be the the difficult big you know big bad guy at the end final boss encounter, and then they frog stomp that. Then am I allowed to sort of tweak my my design on the fly? I, I think that monsters can live and die in gameplay. So you know if. The fighter gets a spectacular critical and leaves the dragon with one hit point. The dragon should die. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you have a really interesting encounter and it's been and the players are the player characters are just 
mowing through it, and you just want them to. You just want the players to experience some aspect of that. I yeah. think it's perfectly acceptable to allow a villain to survive an extra round okay. or whatever. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I'm, like, not, and I'm not talking about like the the players did really well, and you don't want you know you don't maybe not want to take away the reward for them doing really well, right? Um, but maybe I just screwed up on my encounter design. Uh, yeah, and, and and sometimes that'll happen, and that's just one of the punches that you either have to roll with and take with you the next time you go to the drawing board, or mm-hmm. if you can pull it off to tweak things on the fly to kind of like, like you're saying, buy buy the villain an extra round to do whatever you know dramatic cool thing that was. As long as you're not you know negating your player's work and accomplishments, you can do that to add drama uh, and and excitement. But you do have to be careful because sometimes uh, you show your hand a little bit when you do that, depending on how well you execute it. And you have to know your audience. Uh, you have to know if that's the sort of thing that will, will work for them or if they'll get uh, squinty-eyed. Um, like I said previously, I've had games where that was done a lot and it felt like it was being done against us. And that sucks. Yeah. That game died. So, and, yeah. and that will kill a game. And I think I think in my in my experience, like you can pull that off every now and then when when it's needed. You know, if it's a big deal, or you, you know, you're going to miss a, a story point or a really cool thing, and in a final encounter or whatever, um, and you want them to have that experience, then then you can pull off in those in those moments. You don't want to d- make a regular thing of it, like you mentioned. Well, and I the, think the reason the reason I do it is is this entertaining. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is it, yes. it going to be more entertaining if this guy lives one more round? One more round. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I mean, the, the other thing that I have that I have to I, I have had to remind myself over the years is um, when you do it, it, there's no need to like to let the players know that you've done it. Right. I had this tendency to to design certain things or change certain things on the fly or whatever, and then like. The next day, I would talk to my players. Oh, yeah, how did you like that encounter? Well, this, this is how I changed on the fly and whatever. And then they realized, oh, it's not, it's not fair, right? The DM is just changing things to suit his needs as as they play. And and so even though that wasn't the goal, right? I was trying to make it more fun. It kind of spoils that fun to give them the meta context of what was going on. Yeah. By the way, uh, players in our games, stop listening now. <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, I mean, I, my goal is to entertain when I run. You know, it's hanging out with my friends and surprising them and showing them, hey, here's this D&D monster you haven't seen yet, but here's how I present it. And, you know, it, it's, it's fun. Um, my goal is to entertain. So that's why I know I'm a little soft. But I think they know we have a kind of a, an agreement that um, they know I'm cheating to entertain the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. But it, we're not going to call it that because uh, the marriage is still working. <laughs> There's a difference between cheating and you know taking some design liberties, and that's where that uh, yes. fine line is. And usually that is con- contentiousness, right? Are you doing it because the players are doing too well, or are you doing it to create a fun experience? And, yeah. and there is a subtle but very, very crucial difference. Yeah, and it, it just depends on on well. I don't know how smart are your players, or how observant, or how much they trust you. You know, there's a lot. Oh, going how on. tactical versus how narrative? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And players can't really know how many hit points a monster is supposed to have left or does have left unless they're actually counting. You know, yeah, it's like, I, oh, a bugbear has 27 hit points, and 
he's taking 35 damage. When's he going to go down? You know, it's I've like, watched those penny arcade shows. I know a Hydra has 30 hit points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well aware of that. Uh, by the way, there was one thing you're talking about uh, I, I just wanted to mention uh, as an option. Because um, you mentioned, you know, like spell-like abilities and, you know, you know innate spell casting. Um, one of the things I've always found interesting to point out, that's not spell casting. That's actually not the spell. That is only um, um, a placeholder or, or a mechanical way of saying, hey, use the mechanic. This, this demon doesn't actually cast this spell, but it does puke out a cloud of poisonous fog. But we're going to use the mechanics for that spell because then we don't have to create a right. dozen spells for everything. So one of the things I always tell people, you know, you have these spells, just customize them for your monster, you know. If only in it, flavor. Yeah, yeah, only in yeah. flavor or, 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 you know, may, or maybe even give it, a, you know, a mechanical thing. If, if it breathes fire, maybe it breathes a ring of fire, you know, like mm -hmm. just if, if its goal, if it's a fire-breathing minotaur and its goal is to isolate people and beat the crap out of them. You know, instead of a fire breath, give it a ring of fire so to, you know, isolate a target, you know? I'm, d I'm just saying, like, a lot of those spells, they make sense and they're used mechanically like a player would, but they're not those things. They belong to that monster, you know? When a Mind Flayer does, you know, do a Dominate spell, that's probably going to look differently than when, like, a Dryad or a Fae of some kind does it. Mm. That's good. Sure. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Description is important, and and by all means, steal abilities and or reskin things to 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 make a different sort of challenge. Right. Uh, I mean, you could, if you wanted to have something, you could take the stats of an ogre and reskin it as like a like a goblin giant, right? <laughs> and just how you describe it and how you portray it that can change the the tenor of an encounter completely. Would a goblin giant just be a normal dude? Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you know what I'm saying. Take, take no, no. your ogre, make it, make it like a giant bugbear, right? With with green skin, less fur, and you know, different weapon choices, and you, you know, you just build a different, a uh, different little setting around it. And yeah, it's just an ogre, but it's going to feel completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the way, um, I know we keep talking about D and D. Are we allowed to talk about Pathfinder? Sure. Can we mention this? Sure. Anything okay. of interest to the D&D &D audience? When no, I think there's, there's a lot of overlap. Wait, wait, wait. There's D&D &D players who like Pathfinder? Uh, that's my understanding. I'm so confused. And I think no, there's Pathfinder uh, players who like D&D &D as well. Oh, my God. I'm so confused. My, my, my worldview <laughs> is just shattered. Um, do you guys know the... Hey, Jared, Jared, hold on one second. Pathfinder is Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, Don't it ruin is. this for me. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> hey, that's what we were talking about. Reskin things, and it completely changes the context. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, that, by the way, with the way of the Wicked game, that's a Pathfinder adventure. Yeah. Um, but he didn't tell anyone. So we're all playing, you know, 3.5. And it's hilarious because there's, you know, it, you can't immediately tell until some of the monsters that you can summon are different. Yeah. You, know, you summon a nightmare in Pathfinder, it's much weaker than a nightmare in uh, 3.5. But anyway, um, do you guys know the Monster Codex? Mm hmm. Uh, I love this book. Like, basically, they just took, um, oh, God, 20 of the most common monster types 
and just gave new templates and feats and features to kind of make running them more interesting. Like, cool. it's, it, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I thought it was pertinent to the topic. Yeah. Because it's just one of those things like, okay, are you going to run an entire campaign of vampires? This is going to get very boring if you're just running, if you need to run things straight out of the book. So they have this book that kind of just gives you, you know, another, you know, ten pages of fun, weird stuff vampires should have, but we couldn't fit it in the monster manual. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, sorry. The, the, to me, the opposite of, of maybe having a book to do something is to just look at the monster and say, what would this thing do? Mm-hmm. Like, why doesn't an ogre just stomp on a guy that just fell down? I mean, or uh, why doesn't um, the carrion crawler try to eat someone or drag them away? It's not going to stand there and fight. Its, its goal is food. I mean, right. yeah. I think yeah, thinking, like th- a, like thinking like about how the things right, thinking about how things, how you would see it in a movie, not worrying about any mechanics or anything like that, other than as a secondary thought, like okay, well, how does it stomp on somebody? Absolutely. How does the crawler drag something away? Yeah, that goes back to characterizing your monsters, thinking about what their motivations are, why they do what they do, and that's where those lore sections are just so great, because we, we keep using bugbears as an example, but like that third paragraph, the, the ambushers paragraph, it talks about, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're stealthy, they're cunning, they love to ambush, but they're also you know, capricious and selfish, and they don't want to die, so if one guy's left behind because a fight goes bad, he might be willing to flip on his buddies, right, if you let him live. And and just keeping those little tidbits in mind uh, that can change the entire flavor of an encounter from something that was a just a hit point damage slog into well this is segueing into a back way into the into the goblin catacombs right or like the ogre says gruesome gluttons mm-hmm. they they eat almost anything but they especially enjoy the taste of short list of humanoids here what if what if That's the ogre great. stops to chomp on your halfling buddy. That's unconscious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tosses, know, like, tosses, tosses your halfling in a sack and then just starts walking off. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be back for the rest of you later. <laughs> my, my favorite is the one that talks about how stupid they are. They're so easy to fool, but that blows up in a lot of uh, adventurers' faces because they also get frustrated and then just crush whatever's frustrating them. That is right out of... Uh, Keep on the borderlands because yes. the goblins were giving the ogre funny money, mm-hmm. yep. so it would it would work as a mercenary for them. Yep, and the, the, that plus the legendary stupidity is just uh, there's just a lot of hilarious uh, fodder there for uh, for interesting starts and ends of encounters. <laughs> Where does an ogre and it's play? really fun to play ogres stupid. Like, oh yeah, it's really fun. Like, ow! Why did you poke me? You're trying to kill me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> What were you saying, Jared? Oh, I'm hungry. wondering where an ogre shops. Oh. Shops. <laughs> yeah. Wherever it wants to, Jared. Yeah, wherever, wherever he wants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about sort of uh, tweaking design on the fly. And, of course, you can also pr- 
prepare ahead of time for making design tweaks to monsters if you wanted to give them a slightly different flavor or just make them more interesting or whatever. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about what you can do in terms of design, either tweaking or from the ground up or whatever that would make monsters more interesting. Well, I'm going to start out by saying that whatever you give the monster, it has to be visible to the players. Yes. So if it's not visible to the players, it's irrelevant. Okay, so explain something that's not visible to the players. I will, I will do so, sir. The Death Knight has uh, magic resistance and martial undead. Neither one of those abilities is going to be obvious to the players unless you make it obvious. So... Sure, that's an, those things are an aspect of the Death Knight that might be important, but his longsword and the way he uses his longsword and his spellcasting and the Hellfire Orb are all more important. But parry can be magic. Mm, I love taking parry and giving it to things that didn't otherwise have it. So, so Cheater. <laughs> I add six to my AC against a melee attack that would have hit me. I'm mean, tweaking mechanics to entertain your players. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the way I would tweak that actually is to roll a die and add a random amount to the AC. But mm. so he yeah, tries I to think, parry, I think parry and he might the, not. But yeah, yeah, I think the base design so parry, is parry, parry with a D8 or something. Yeah, parry with a D8 or, or, or a D6 or something. And so maybe he tries to parry and fails. But the important thing is that that's a role playing cue to the DM. Mm-hmm. Describing the Death Knight should be doing that all the time. Oh yeah, just it's, he he looks like a fighter. At least what we think about as a fighter when we're watching a movie in our minds, or we're watching a really a movie for real. I mean, fighters attack and parry and and move and attack and parry. Mm-hmm. So, so tweaking design to make it more forward facing and more clear to the players what's going on. Um, adding, you know, which could be an, uh, rolling a die in front of them and, and making it a little more swingy. I think that's but also, good. but also just role playing. Trying to, you can even role play the things that aren't as forward facing. Like I would, I would emphasize martial undead somehow if I were playing. Yeah, death. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when the cleric tried to turn undead, I would have the death knight do something like say, "You have no power here," mm-hmm. and he could feel the divine power that he's trying to channel weaken or whatever, you know, something. Or, or just his eyes glow insanely bright when something doesn't work. You know, you don't have and to... And he laughs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or even, even, even simple things like the Death Knight, you know, enters the fray and all of the undead take, just pause for a beat and sort of turn their attention to him and, and then he, you know, draws his blade and then they resume the attack, right? Yeah, or they, they, just, they mimic his posture. Yeah, like yeah that's a good one. Uh, magic resistance. Maybe a magic resistant monster. That's not obvious until someone tries to cast a spell on it. Maybe active spells or magical things go a little haywire or dim or flicker for a moment when they're near the like. Like maybe your uh, your your flame tongue, the flames sputter a little bit when you strike it. You know, or they or they turn turn green. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In my game, I, I do that with. Uh, they don't. It's not visible until it works against something. And then there's kind of a, a shimmer or something. And I think that you could play that up for different for different death knights. It could be different in each case. Sure. So, and especially death knights, right? They're relatively unique <laughs> creatures. Yeah, yeah, for yes. sure. So, any other design sort of tweaks besides making sure that things are more forward facing and obvious to the players? 
Um, you know, when you're designing a monster, usually you'll have, uh, at least when we're talking about you're designing it for your table, right, for your game, uh, you have an idea in mind of what you want this monster to do. Like, they're going to fight this thing in the Crystal Cavern, right? You're not just figuring, ah, oh, you know what, I'm going to make uh, a Bugman that does some weird stuff, and then I'll figure out where to use it later, right? Um, Great design so, document, by the way. Yeah. Uh, keep keep in mind, you know, what you're designing the monster to do, and then and then try to pick one or two fun, unique, interesting, you know, uh, things that it can do within that context. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe you can give it a, a very and just and shamelessly steal from other monsters. Do it. Do it. It's very easy. Uh, steal like the cockatrice's petrification for your for your crystal thrycreen or whatever you're making, where it can it can turn people to crystal or encase them in it, and that's its petrification effect. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I designed a a for my current campaign. I designed a whole group, a whole race of weird uh, hive mind bug people, and. I realized I, I when I ran into that first encounter with them, I was like, oh, I never, like, made stats for them. Well, they're kind of Thrycreen-like with just some slight variations. I'll just run them as Thrycreen, but, but tweak where I need to, and that's a pretty easy design. You yeah. just steal the other bits from other monsters that I like. Well, I think that it the what is the movie in your head works again here. Like That's a great one. What What does this monster doing in a movie or in a novel or a video game uh, that makes it, that's going to make it memorable for the players and then make the mechanics mirror that. And if you miss some of the things from fourth edition, like the bugbear strangler, uh, you can make a bugbear strangler. Did in- you design the bugbear strangler? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is when you lie. I just thought that was one of your favorites that you designed and you wanted to come back to it. But No, I don't think I designed any of the bugbears that were published. I think about it. Now you'll have to put together a DMs Guild product. Well, you know, uh, if you wanted a book. Chris Sims' Big Book of Bugbears. <laughs> big Book <laughs> of Stranglers. If, big if, Book if, of Bugbears, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> to, use that, uh, to use that example, if you want to make a Bugbear Strangler now, you can just use a regular Bugbear. They're already sneaky bastards as it is, right? Uh, and the editor cap has a WebGarot sidebar for how to do mm-hmm. the strangle bit. So you just take the web exactly. garage sidebar, give it to your bugbear, you got yourself a bugbear strangler, and I need to write this down. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a little harder to do on the fly unless you happen to, to have an expansive knowledge yeah. of all the Unless you happen monsters. to have known that this thing exists right. over there, yeah. And certainly yeah. When, you're, when you're designing, you could say, I want to make a bugbear strangler and then flip through the book and look for other things that might provide yes. that inspiration. Yeah, no... Um, do any of you guys ever play like MOBAs or like League of Legends or something? Yeah, I play, I play League of Legends. Okay, fantastic. Because um, I wanted to mention um, it for for people out there who are like trying to kind of look at how do I design a monster to make things interesting. Because uh, when I heard the topic, the other thing that occurred to me is uh, a DM being very bored with what he's running. Because you know, in, in some of the campaigns I've played in we end up having, like, the entire party is planning on making Encounter not work. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. like cripple the monster before. And then in later, for, you know, design, you end up getting things like, okay, remove all status effects twice per round because players got smart. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> it, you, know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I do, uh, I do. Yeah, and uh, but I think it would be really interesting. I, I love a lot of uh, what Riot Games does with their design work because they have a concept, you know, and they have to work within, you know, you know, you give them three abilities or, or three to five, depending. Um, and you have to make that something that is a, a, adaptable, that something that can be used for a lot of different situations. Yeah. And, like, they have a Minotaur character, you know, and he's just punching and trampling things. <laughs> but, they, you know, there's a zombie. You know, they've, they've made these things. And, actually, there's multiple zombies. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but they went cinematically, but they chose the abilities that make them interesting to play and have at the table, but not... Um, what's the word? Um, no, but but not easily crippled, if that makes sense. I mean, in a game like that, you have kind of that whole perfect imbalance uh, idea going on. But um, I don't know. I think people out there might it might be an interesting place to look because if you have one big monster and you need it to to work, th- instead of being like, okay, I'm going to give it magic resistance and the ability to heal, and I'm going to make it invisible for the first two turns. And, you know, it's underwater and no one can see because I blinded them all with the spell wall. You know, and just, you know, it, it's, there's more dynamic ways of uh, responding to things. Video games are a good example of um, a pretty picture painted around math. Yeah. Right. And, and D&D is the same thing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's precisely. a picture you paint around the math. Mm-hmm. So Now... Earlier in the conversation, Chris, you mentioned um, any given monster having, you know, one unique defining ability that, that, you know, maybe happens every other round or maybe once at the beginning or whatever. Uh, Jared just mentioned the idea of three to five abilities. Uh, how much is too much? At what depends point- on how lo- it depends on how long the creature is going to last. Yep. Yeah, and, so, and again, so a, a bugbear is going to last three rounds. And, and some of those abilities are I punch extra far or I, mm-hmm. I, I jump on top of someone, mm-hmm. you know, like they're not always, you know, these spell like things, but totally. So a, a dragon can have more special things because the dragon's going to last longer. Whereas something like a goblin, it, it, it gets to be interesting for two rounds. Right. So mm-hmm. you're wasting your time if you give a goblin five abilities. Oh, God, yes. Then again, if you have a pack of 20 goblins, odds <laughs> are there are goblins that are going to survive a long time. So you want uh, them to have some interesting things to do. But those interesting things should be like how they work together, for yes. example. And uh, um, how they do different modes of action. Like mm-hmm. how do they move? How do they attack? What do they react? How do they react when one of their buddies goes down? I mean, you know, stuff like that. Okay. And is the goblin designed that way? I don't remember. Does it have like a well, pack tactic thing? Uh, it doesn't have pack tactics, but they have the uh, what is it called? The nimble escape, and that makes for some incredibly fun tactical uh, things you can do with goblins, um, since they can, uh, you know, they can what disengage and hide as a bonus action. Right. So if you want to they... see some players go ah. Kill that thing. Yeah. And then the goblin bosses that can jump behind their buddies. That's that's the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's real easy as a DM to forget about 
the things like the nimble escape. But that's sort of supposed to be the defining feature of the goblin, right? That so is very that, much the goblin's defining trait. They, they've all try got not it. To forget so that. so yeah. try to try to throw it in every now and then, right? Yeah, use use those defining traits that your monsters have. Uh, there, I have been in games where encounters become boring because the DM forgot to use the monster's special abilities and just you know ran up and clawed things. And that's that's doing a massive disservice to the monster, to the game, and to your players. When what you know something that could have been exciting if you remembered, oh yeah, this thing can turn stuff to ice, right? <laughs> I mean, the goblin is something that can, the this little guy can literally run around the corner and be gone. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. Also, keep yeah. track if you're fighting a goblin horde. Um, keep track of where the corpses fall. In our game, uh, they <laughs> use them as cover and to reach higher terrain. ground. Uh, we uh, we have to deal with difficult terrain a lot when we have corpse littered battlefields. That's that's important to keep in mind as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to we we're getting close to the, to where we want I want to wrap up here, but I wanted to sort of bring up or do one more thing here. I, I want to pull a sample sort of really simple designed monster and talk about okay, so what can we do to make this monster more interesting? And since we've mentioned it a few times, I'm not going to go bugbear because I think we've talked about some of the interesting thing that, things the bugbear can do. I want to go even simpler. I want to talk about the ogre, mm. which has dark vision but has no skills and has two attacks, a melee attack and a ranged attack. And that's the old, it's on page 237 flip. if you have your Thank monster you. manual with you. <laughs> flip, flip, flip. So I want to talk about how do, so how do we make the ogre more, a more interesting monster? Well, I mean, first of all, the ogre is interesting because it does a lot of damage and it has a lot of hit points, right? Oh, so, it, but that's it, the problem. That's that that that's why we're all here talking. But <laughs> the, the, the issue is, if you're fighting these when you're level three, they're not going to be that interesting. If you're fighting them when you're level one or two. Then it's going to be. Uh, very I guarantee you that two ogres is pretty interesting if you're level three. Sure, two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing is, they do so much damage; it's not going to be boring, right? It's going to be one hit, and oh, geez, you know, Zelnar is down, and or you know, he's got one hit point. Um, so the Poor ogre, uh, yeah, random name, enjoy. I don't uh, judge. Yeah. <laughs> um, ogres are a tricky one for me in this because I find them uh, very easy to use out of the box with really nothing special going on because of that massive amount of damage that they put out for their challenge rating. So I have, a, I have one proposal sure. for a very simple change for, an, for the ogre that could be player-facing that wouldn't make it that much harder to play, and that's giving it the barbarian's reckless attack. Oh. <laughs> hmm. So how would, how, would, how, would, how would that work mechanically then? It would give itself advantage on on attack rolls, mm-hmm. uh, and then it would grant advantage on attack rolls against itself mm-hmm. so until it, the start of its next turn. Right, he becomes the the brute from fourth edition, right? The one that is, soaks up a lot of yeah. hits and yeah. is really easy to hit, but does a lot of damage in the meantime. Right, and you're just giving giving him a better chance to crit with that massive amount of damage. That okay. is really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Because I mean, they're already nothing, nothing is player facing like a critical. Yeah, uh, they're already <laughs> AC eleven, so giving advantage to hit them isn't a huge negative to the ogre, and giving them advantage to to all their attacks is, uh, yeah, uh, very effective. I wouldn't give that to every ogre on the battlefield, but you, you know, like an ogre chieftain, or your named ogre that lives in the caves of chaos, maybe yeah. you know. 
Yeah, unfortunately, my solution is not really mechanical. Um, I would go with the, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, well, it, what did they say? They say greedy collectors on there. Mm-hmm. And I literally would have, like, them, you know, saving versus compulsions to go after the shiniest thing. You know, if they're really that stupid, you know, maybe they can be bribed. Maybe it's clear they're going for, like, okay, this guy is wearing the most expensive armor. And, hey, the wizard is carrying a big backpack. I'm going to go for that. As opposed to, you know, I have enough hit points and, you know, I don't I have enough strength to climb over whatever is slowing me down. You know, just, I don't know. I, I would have fun with uh, the goal, mm-hmm. you know. you know, and, and also raising the question, what do they do with that money? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I would focus to make it more interesting. Because then, you know, the monster is still doing its thing, but it's not just sitting there. I'm going to beat the thing next to me. I, am, I have priorities. Uh, another fun thing you could do with ogres um, is mess with their society a little bit, and that I, I suppose by that give them a little bit of a society. Um, we're we're playing through uh, it was uh, was it called Lear of the Giant King from uh, from uh, Dungeon Magazine a while back, and that's uh, elements of that have been incorporated into our current game uh, ongoing right now. And so there was a, a group of ogres that are, I mean, there's still just ogres out of the monster manual, but they're organized a little bit more like a military force. And, uh, they have leaders among them who have it a little bit more together. And, and that, uh, made them extremely flavorful mm. and, uh, and interesting to just encounter and, and as well as fight. Yeah. And another thing is Take the opportunity to use the ogre's strength to use unconventional attacks that can capitalize on strength, like grappling or shoving. Mm. Um, that type of thing can be really fun, like if the ogre shoves a guy down and then stomps on him or, uh, or sits on him. Right. You know, let's make jelly. Let's make halfling jelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you could certainly even, if you wanted to do the prep ahead of time, you could certainly... Um, tweak or, or add a couple of abilities or whatever to the ogre without changing the 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 strength of the ogre you know give it give it an attack that uh, does a trip um, yeah but maybe a little less damage and then you can follow up with a, a stomp and then have the stomp be a thing well I was um, gonna say yeah you mentioned you mentioned earlier why wouldn't an ogre stomp a guy who's on the ground I mean you could easily describe that as a grapple and now he's got a guy pinned under his foot mm-hmm. right which which I have done actually. So. Yeah, 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 you can always swap out the weapons. You know, turn the great tr- great club into I don't know. He pulls a tree out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So actually, uh, one of the first uh, fifth ed design jobs I had was updating or uh, not updating, converting um, the Raven's Call, an adventure for the Midgard setting from Pathfinder to fifth ed. And there's an ogre in there, and so one of the there was he had some distinctive things about him in the adventure. So he's just an out of the box ogre, but he's wearing rusty chainmail and carrying a pike. So nice. he's got reach and and you know higher armor class. He's he's fighting higher level things, uh, and that really uh, you know and he's he's commanding a bandit, uh, a bandit tribe, and he's eating everything in this village they sacked. Mm-hmm. But you, you throw some armor on an ogre, you give him a, a pike with reach, and maybe a fancy hat. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's got a, a <laughs> helmet that didn't fit him until he smashed it on a rock enough, and now it fits. Now it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
for some reason, I like the idea of sort of a wide-brimmed hat with a big feather coming out of it or something, you know? Three Musketeers yeah, yeah, style. Yeah. I was this thinking was, of was a less bowler for a small child. A bowler? Yeah, there you a go. Bowler. Like a very small bowler. Mm-hmm. A goblin a little, bowler. A little top hat. Yeah, yeah so the, the feathered hat is, is one that he stole from a human bard, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So he's wearing it basically tucked behind one ear or something. Jaunty yeah, it's, it's stuck to his head with a little bit of bard paste. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I think there's a lot of things you could do with an ogre, uh, both in terms of the way you run it and the way you skin it and the way you equip it. Um, but I think there's also some, if you wanted to make mechanical tweaks, that's certainly something that could be done. You could, and you, some of that could be improv, right, with the, the, the stick your foot on him or sit on him in order, as a grapple check. Um, or other sort of me- mechanics that exist but aren't necessarily going to be found in the stat block. Right. Um, hey, Dan, you you worked on the Southlands Bestiary? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, okay. Do you Are you familiar with a, a monster that was in that book called the Blemies? Uh, yes. Uh, more from conversion work. Okay, okay. It's, it's no problem. Just... Uh, it, it's something that, that uh, popped to mind because it's pretty much, uh, you know, it's a large monstrous humanoid, you know, it's got, uh, you know, it has to make will saves to not eat people if they're nearby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it carries a great club. It's, it's kind of, an, you know, an ogre equivalent, but uh, what's, what's really interesting is in the lore of that, you know, kind of hidden, um, is this thing where, uh, what is it, um... Uh, they see all humanoids as potential meals and some have the patience to tend them like unruly herds, farming them for food and fattening them up for maximum succulence. Yep. Now, I love the idea of one of these horrible-looking monsters, like, thinking of himself as, like, I don't know, a, a cattle ran- ran- you know, rancher. But yeah. having to make will saves to not devour his crop every time he sees them... <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's a that is a that's really, something you can just do with ogres. That's a really flavorful way to to present these guys, and uh, yeah, no, that's great. And some of that feels like it goes back to like the classic Greek cyclops, right? With uh-huh. Its, yep. With its herd of sheep up on the hill and yeah, whatever. absolutely yep. herd of sheep. Uh, m- mythology is <laughs> <laughs> uh, a great place to go for a lot of, and and that's where most of the Southlands bestiary stuff came from. Was was you know African and uh, African myth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's a, yeah, I mean, mining, mining for extra flavor elements from, uh, from, you know, movies and literature as, as Chris has brought up a couple of times, um, from, from, uh, folklore, uh, you know, pulling those elements, borrow something from an old, like, you know, the original dark Grimm's fairy tales from some other type of fairy and slap it on an ogre. And, mm-hmm. you know, what, what if these ogres have a penchant for making deals with people that somehow come true? What, what's going on there? You know, mm-hmm. you can, there's, there's a lot of potential to do uh, just out of the box or even just, just slightly different stuff that the players, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. If mm-hmm. they want to find out for sure, maybe they have to go deal with the ogre chief. Yeah, I think anyone interested in monster design should just go on Wikipedia and search for the word cryptid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because that's just hilarious. Absolutely. So, any any last bits of advice that people anybody wants to give on on making your monsters sizzle uh, before we sort of wrap things up? Make it like the movie in your mind. I think that's a good uh, sort of overall, right? Yeah. Yep. Keep them off balanced and happy. 
<laughs> that's that's my my tactic. The monsters or the players? Oh, sure. No, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, make the players not know what to expect and have fun with that experience. Okay. Um, man, yeah, I like I like make it like the movie in your mind. That's that's really. I mean, that's that's where I get a lot of my inspiration is just for those those cinematic moments, right? Um, but as far as monsters and game design environment, use the environment to your monsters strengths, or even if it's not a specific strength, like the goblin's ability to disengage, um, just making use of simple things like cover can make all the difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, and then that takes a a very simple encounter to one that's actually going to require some, uh, some tactics, some thinking, maybe some, you maybe have to dip into resources you might not have otherwise used to, to, to break the, the tactics that's being used against you. And, and the lesson I'm going to take out of it, uh, at least for this weekend's game, is uh, start paying more attention to the part of the stat block that sometimes gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. Right? Look at those skills. Look at those non-combat sort of... Look uh, at their movement modes or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Absolutely. For example, the Lich should have a, a room that you encounter him in that perfectly fits Cloud Kill. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there was an old adventure called Deadly Treasure... And there are two rooms where you fight uh, the simulacrum of a wizard whose tomb it is. And the first one is a perfectly lightning bolt dimensioned hallway. And the other one is a perfectly nope. fireball shaped sphere room. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, the, thing is the, the lich can stand in the cloud kill and just laugh while you die. Right. Yes, he can. And so... All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. I want to thank our guests for today. I want to start by thanking Jaron Von Hindman. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, you know what? Jared Von Hindman is fine. Um, Head Injury Theater uh, is a website that exists. Uh, Twitter is <laughs> fine, too. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Dan Dillon, where can people keep up with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. And, uh, I'm on Facebook, just, uh, Daniel dot P dot Dylan. And, uh, yeah, I'm on there. I, uh, I moderate a discussion group for D and D fifth edition. It's Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition on, on Facebook as well. Closing in on 18,000 members there. Usually a lot of good discussion. So if you have D and D ideas or questions, there's a lot of people there that'd love to help you out. And you're currently working on the Tome of Beasts still? Uh, Tome of Beasts is basically done. That is at the printer now, and uh, they just got some some issues with the proofs sorted out. So we should be seeing those in July and August, and that is super super exciting. So any Um, other projects we should be looking out out for from you? A few, a few, Uh, a couple for Cobalt Press. I've uh, I've done some work on the fifth edition update of deep magic so i got to work on a couple of specific magic uh schools if you will uh, and a couple of new wizard arcane traditions um i've also done some work with classes and backgrounds for a project that i don't know has been officially announced yet so i'm not going to jump the gun on that leak leak <laughs> oh no. no, the cobalts are watching give the in are watching um, and then, as I said, there's more Legendary Planet coming up. I should have the the, the second official installment of that Adventure Path. Uh, the, the Pathfinder development is finishing, and I should have that for conversion within the month. And uh, uh, what else is going on? There's Playground Adventures. I'm doing some work for them. They're, they're a lot of fun, a lot of... Uh, younger child oriented uh gaming so That's starting awesome. at pathfinder also hero kids uh they just launched a new line called after school adventures which is fantastic little short short kid oriented adventures with an educational element um 
uh, as well as doing some work on the Fairy Ring for Scott Gable, which is just going to be a huge, giant setting all about Fae. Player, playable races, monsters, legendary Fae lords and ladies, crazy stuff. Sounds like you need some more things in your life to keep you busy. Uh, yeah, I could use another one. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Sims, where can people find you and keep up with what you're up to? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Chris S. Sims, and I occasionally blog on criticalhits.com. Critical-hits.com, if people want to Critical find Critical-hits, right? yep. yep. And uh, I'm working a lot of freelance, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know if people can find me doing that, but... Uh, I you, feel your pain, sir. Any freelance projects <laughs> you want to you wanna let people know about? Well, I've been helping develop the Scarred Lands mm-hmm. uh, for 5th edition. I, nice. I've been writing dialogue for State of Decay 2. Um, from Undead Labs, and I've been working on. I worked on Volo's Guide to Monsters. Oh, Ooh. awesome! Um, and among other things. Right on. So it sounds like you're you're keeping busy as well. So that's good. Yep. Excellent. I also want to thank all of our listeners out there for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or the DMs Guild or being a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. You can get a hold of us by emailing thetomeshow at gmail.com or, or calling the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. This has been episode 268, where we roared our most fearsome roar while engaging you in story-driven banter and clawing your face off as we discuss making your monster sizzle in this episode of... I'm on the wall.